But this morning we're going to begin in Psalm 2, and this is the psalm that I read at the end of last week's message. I encourage you to spend some time in. But we're going to spend about five or ten minutes going through Psalm 2, because this morning we are talking about Jesus and his kingdom. So as we're going through Revelation, the, the, the focus of the document as a whole is Jesus unveiling himself, his nature, his character, his will, his plans, his purposes, his redemption. And today we're looking at, at his kingdom and what, is, what does that mean to us today in our daily lives as we pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we're going to begin in Psalm 2 because it gives us that contrast of heart of those who are in opposition to him ruling in our lives, those who are in submission to him, and again, God's appointment of Jesus as king. So Psalm 2 begins with this question. Why do the nations rage? As we're sitting in the imagery of Revelation, nations, and same thing in Daniel, given this uh, description of beasts. So you can sit here and say, why do the beasts rage? Why do these nations rage? Why do the people they plot a vain thing, a futile thing. It says that the kings of the earth, they set themselves. The rulers, they take counsel together. They conspire together. In this very specific line, against the Lord, against Yahweh, the God who created the heavens and the earth, and against his anointed saying, let us break in bonds, uh, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Listen to the, again, just listen to this question and sit in it for a minute. When you look at nations, whether it's modern nations, historical nations, there's, there's a rage in humanity. There's a rage for power. There's a rage for possessions. There's a rage for ideologies. But the, there's, there is great comfort and peace that comes from knowing the God who has created you. And there is great discomfort and rage at your circumstances, at the, at the world that you see. There can be a lot of rage against God, against the creator for things that you see, things that you think ought not to be, whether they're in your life or in the lives of others, and it causes a lot of questions. But there is this foundational, for those of us who know your Creator, for those of us who know your Lord, there is this legitimate question when we look out at others, why? The answer is, the answer is really simple. But why is there all this rage? What is it that deception and sin has caused in these nations? And here the description is, for them, there's this desire and rebellion against the Lord of, for them, and even for us as believers, have you ever felt like you've been chained and imprisoned by God in your circumstance? Have you ever felt like God is holding you back from what you want, from what you need, from whatever that thing, that circumstance may be? Have you ever felt like you've been enchained by God? Have you ever kicked against God saying, get off of me? Hold me back. That's, the, that's, this, that's this fleshly heart desire of rebellion against God and opposition against him, of feeling like 
you're in prison, feeling like you're bound by him and not by something else, whether yourself, sin, Satan, the world. We'll look at all these things today. Same thing with it, let these cords, let us cast away their cords from us. This, you know, feeling like, you know, the Lord is just pulling on your puppet strings of your life. He's in control. And here's the reality of, of God creating us in his image is he's given us this free choice and this free will to submit to him and to yield to him, knowing that he is good, knowing that he's kind, compassionate, gracious, all these different attributes that he's described himself to be, when we really trust in those words, believe in those words, all of a sudden the confines that he places us in, the life circumstance that he places us in, even if we have lots of pressures, even if we're raging against him in a way, there's still that comfort and that peace and that trust that comes from him. And that's where this psalm ends. Sit in this question of why are the nations, the peoples, the kings, the rulers, why are they coming against the Lord and his anointed, saying these things? And now God's response says, he who sits in authority... As king, in his sovereignty, we're going to talk about these words today, and the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. There's, there's mockery and ridicule at how foolish it is, is it to rebel against the one who has the power to create the heavens and the earth, the one who has created you. There's, there's, it's laughable. It's mockable, ridiculable. Say that three times fast. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath. And distress them, horrify them in his deep displeasure. That's a lot of the imagery of the future that we're seeing in Revelation. Look at his declarations. Yet, God could wipe us all out in a moment if he so choose, if he so chose. It's not his will. It's not his desire. In contrast to his wrath, what is it that he has done? He has set, literally he has poured out, his king on his holy hill of zion so a king which he says is my king my holy hill literally my place jesus now speaking in verse 7 i will declare the decree the lord has said to me you are my son and today i've begotten you you sit in the book of Hebrews, pulls up the, all these different ideas of why Jesus is better and fill in the line. To who else has God ever said? To what angel, to what man has God declared, you are my son? And again, this, that Jesus is his only begotten son. He is special. He is unique. He is one of a kind. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are told that we are made. We become the children of God. But to Jesus and Jesus alone, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. You can sit in the promise that he gave to, to David in 2 Samuel 7. Look at verse 8. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them or smash them. A lot of your translations will say rule them with a rod of iron, and you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So remember when, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 4, 
He is driven after his baptism. He's driven out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan, to be tempted by the devil. And the last of the temptations, what is, what is Satan tempt Jesus with? Takes him up onto a high place. He shows Jesus all of the nations, all of the kingdoms of the world, all of their glory. And he says to Jesus, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all of these. What does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Bible declares, the word of God declares, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone, him only shall you serve. So here, God the Father is telling his son, ask of me and I will give to you. The temptation that Satan was using with Jesus was the exact same declaration. Satan is in possession of the nations of these world. Why do they rage? Because they're under the influence of a liar and a deceiver. And we're going to see that description of Satan as we get into Revelation today. Ask of me, God says, and I'll give you exactly what you need. Satan comes to you every single day and says, ask of me, and I'll give you what you want. Entices us, causes us to think that this is what I want, and this is what I need, and if I get it, then I will be satisfied. And he's a peddler of poison. He's a peddler of lies and distractions. But here, the Father declaring that the nations of the world are Jesus's inheritance, and that Jesus is going to rule them with a rod of iron. So Psalm 23 talks about the shepherd's staff and the shepherd's rod that they bring comfort. This is a rungu from Kenya, so it's a tourist item that you pick up. Meshach and I were on our way back to the airport, driving in the middle of nowhere, and here's this guy waving these rungus, and Meshach told me this is what I need to bring home as a tourist item. This is a, this is a Kenyan version of a shepherd's rod. Intimidating? So look at the description in the Bible. Jesus, you will rule them, and as we get into Revelation today, the word is shepherd. You will shepherd the nations with a rod of iron. Now, I invite you all to come and pick this up. This is about the size of a femur. I can't imagine getting struck by this. And a lot of us want to look at this as a weapon of discipline, a weapon of chastisement. This is a, this is a weapon of comfort. Again, to our shepherd, your rod and your staff, both of those objects, they comfort me. The imagery that we're given is that when Jesus comes and takes the kingdoms of the world and they become his possession and he rules, he is the divine protector. In Revelation, we have this imagery that Jesus has a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth and with it, he's going to smite the nations. It's the same description ultimately the same imagery that we're being given is that when jesus rules us with his word with his person with his protection with his comfort being in opposition to him though and being if i come at you with wrath with this object in my hand are you going to be intimidated you ought to be i can't imagine getting struck anywhere on the body with this object even with 20 percent of my energy this would hurt but if I come to you and I tell you to get behind me 
and I stand in between you and somebody who is coming after you, how are you going to feel about this object? It's an object of protection. It's an object that is protecting me and bringing me comfort in that instance. Ouch. You shall rule them, shepherd them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them, smash them to pieces like potter's vessels. Again, the emphasis here, it's not necessarily people. Yes, people are included, but it's the kingdoms and the systems, whether it's economic, whether it's political, whether it's national, whether it's ethical, um, whether it's religious, that is what he is going to come and demolish, and he will rule and reign in all of his holiness and all of his righteousness. So that's God's response. What's our response? Here's the exhortation. Be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord. Minister to him with fear and rejoice with trembling. Again, not in terror, but in reverence, in respect, being in awe from him is how we are to respond and minister to him. We are to pursue him for his wisdom and for his instruction. We are to rejoice in him. Yes, with an aspect of trembling. Look at the intimacy here. This is what God's instruction is to you and to me. Kiss the son. That, that intimate relationship. That, that, again, that just description of intimacy. Kiss the son. Trust him. Lest he be angry. And you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. And just look at this as a whole in regards to here's the kingdoms of the world. We're going to sit in these descriptions in Revelation. Here is the kingdom and the king and the reign and the authority. And again, the emphasis on when we talk about Jesus as king, the emphasis, it's not necessarily upon a political ideology or national borders. The emphasis is upon his right to reign and to rule and to shepherd us as king. That's what the, that's what the, uh, the weight is behind that description. God is the one who has placed his king. His king is in the specific place on his holy hill of Zion because that is the place where he chose to place his name. Specific, unique declaration in regards to who the Messiah is as the Son of God, that all the nations are his inheritance. And for those of us who place our trust in him, our hope in him, and our confidence in him, there's a favor there's an intimacy, there's a wisdom, there's an instruction, there's a, these are, there's a contrast to the nations. Now turn to Revelation 11. Using that as backdrop, because there is a lot of discussion in the Old Testament in regards to when God created the heavens and the earth, he gave Adam and Eve a dominion, the right to rule, the right to go and subdue the world in the image and the name of God. They violated that dominion, and that dominion shifted to Satan. When you look at the descriptions that we have in, in Genesis 10 of the table of nations, 
there is the emphasis upon a demonic ruler, a satanic, devilish, serpent, deceiving ruler behind all of those nations and their authority structures. When we sit in modern times, you sit in the United States of America, the United States of America is not the United States of God. You sit in the United Nations, it's not the United Nations of God, it's the United Nations that are sitting underneath the umbrella and the deception of an enemy. And there's coming a day when this enemy is going to be cast out of God's presence, we are going to read. There is a, as we get further into a revelation, there is a day when this being is going to be bound as Jesus rules and reigns on this earth for a thousand years. And there's coming a day where this deceiver is going to be cast out, his continual fall ultimately into the lake of fire for all eternity because there will never be deception in God's kingdom. You sit in Jesus teaching us how to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. What does he tell us to ask God for? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, holy, separate, honored, revered, respected be your name, your nature, your character, who you are in my life, in our lives. Your kingdom come. As a believer in Jesus, we, we sit in a kingdom where we're, we're foreigners, we're sojourners, we're just traveling through. We are told through faith, having faith in Jesus Christ that your citizenship is now in the kingdom of heaven. When you sit with Matthew, Matthew uses this phrase, the kingdom of God, like 50 times in his gospel. Or he uses the kingdom of heaven. Mark and Luke, they use the kingdom of God often. It's thought that, you know, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, they are synonymous with each other as you sit in Jesus' teaching. Matthew using the kingdom of heaven. It, it, the idea is that he didn't want to use the Lord's name in vain, so not saying the name God, not saying the name Yahweh, so he said kingdom of heaven as a replacement instead. But when Jesus begins his public ministry, What's the first thing that he says? Repent, turn, have a change of mind, have a change of heart, come out of your death and come into my life for the kingdom of heaven. It's at hand. It's right there. When he's teaching us to pray, Father, your kingdom come. You come in your kingdom, your rules, your sovereignty. You rule in me as king today. You come. You bring your kingdom your righteousness, your justice, your holiness into the kings of the earth, into the kingdoms of the earth. When, Lord, when are you going to possess and take the kingdoms of the world and make them your own and subject them to you? When? Revelation 11, verse 15 sitting in the midst of the sixth, seven, or the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet judgments, these ones that are all defined as specific woes that we've already sat in. Verse 15 of chapter 11 says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. There's the moment. There's the day. There's the promise. There's the announcement. Again, this is, as you understand the, chron the chronology of the events of these last seven years, 
We base upon Daniel's prophecy, there being seven years. We just sat in the witnesses that their ministry, we believe, will be for the first three and a half years. That this would be in the middle of the tribulation and the events that transpire after this. Or that great tribulational moment where the Antichrist has just declared himself to be God in the temple in Jerusalem. And the Jews are running and fleeing as Jesus tells them to do in Matthew 24. These are the events that we're sitting in, and it's right in the middle when this seventh trumpet is sounded that the kingdoms of the earth, their authority is gone. They still have influence that we'll see in the rest of Revelation. There's still activities are that are going on, but the kingdoms of the world, what's going on at this time, all the upheaval, all the judgments that God has already poured out up until this point, their right to reign is gone. And the rest that we watch is God wrapping things up prior to Jesus coming on the day of the Lord. He shall reign forever and ever. And the response of heaven, the 24 elders who sat before God and on their thrones fell on their faces and they worshiped God. There's the praise. We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is God is very present today and was, he has always been, and who is to come, he will always be. Because literally taken as a possession, your great power. And this is what we cry out. We know that God has the power to do anything that his mind chooses to do. And here's a day that we are promised where he is going to take all of that power in his possession and what? And reign as king. No longer allowing man the freedom to have this kind of ruling authority. No longer allowing these spirits that he has created to have any kind of ruling authority. The power that has always been his, he will seize and he will reign. The nations, again, this is Psalm 2 that we just read through. The nations, they're angry. And your wrath has come against them. The time of the dead. Again, this is whether people are living and breathing or they have been placed into the grave. Dead is ultimately a declaration of separation from God. The time of the dead that they should be judged. That you should reward, give as a wage. You should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. The nations may rage, but God has his wrath against their sin, against their evil deeds, against their rebellion. There's great comfort, there's great reward and trusting him and fearing him, regardless of what, where you stand in humanity, small or great. But those who are destroying God's creation, they'll be destroyed. And at this sound of this trumpet, after this sound of prayer, praise, declaration from the elders, verse 19, the temple of God was opened in heaven. Any temple on earth, all it is is symbolic and providing imagery for what is real in heaven. The Ark of His Covenant, which again is this 
box in which his Ten Commandments were placed, the mercy seat on top of it. God said that this is the place where I will meet you as God, as Redeemer, as Savior, as Priest, as King. The Ark of His Covenant was seen in His temple. And again, these, these variety of uh, times that we have these snapshots of, of God in His glory. There are these lightnings and noises and thunderings and earthquake and great hail. Back up in verse 14, it said that the third woe is coming quickly. The first two woes were defined very clearly. The third is not. In this announcement, it's, it is a woe to the world that their kingdoms have been stripped and they've now become the kingdom of God. At the same time, you could look at whatever this earthquake is and the great hail and the whatever impact that that has, that that could be a woe. And there's also another woe coming up that might be the definition of the third woe, but it's not clearly as defined as the others. All right, now a lot of imagery. Again, remember, we are talking about Jesus and his kingdom. Chapter 12. Now a great sign. There's a series of seven signs that we're going to go through, but here a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman is clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland. Literally, it's a, that, that victory the victor's crown, a crown of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain and torment to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven horns, seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems. Uh, the, this is the difference in this crown is this is a ruling crown, a crown of authority, seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars and threw them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child. Here's Psalm 2 that we just read through, who was to rule, literally to shepherd all of the nations with a rod of iron. So by interpretation, that child is Jesus. Her child was caught up, snatched up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail. Literally, they were not strong enough. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. Listen to the definitions. The serpent of old, so the serpent from the garden, who is called the devil. The, the word devil is accuser, a slanderer. Called the devil and Satan. Satan means adversary. Who deceives. As a deceiver, literally the word is to lead astray, to cause people to wander away. Who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then... I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now 
salvation and strength, literally, and power and the kingdom of our God and the power, authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser, listen to this, Satan accuses you daily. The accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him, have victory. You conquer, you conquer Satan, the devil, the serpent, the dragon. You conquer him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of your testimony, and not loving your life, even to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Remember, even if you live here, your citizenship is in heaven. Your home is God's home. Woe, here would be the third woe, in my opinion. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, the do- those who dwell on the earth, in contrast to those who dwell in heaven. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows he has a little time. There's a ton of imagery here. We are going to sit in more of this imagery in detail as we continue on in chapter 13 of Revelation, and even more so when we get into chapter 17 and 18. But back up to verse 1. Here's this great sign. I don't know, for those of you who have, uh, if you've ever seen this documentary called The Star of Bethlehem, walks through the astrology of the star that leads the wise men to Bethlehem. What is it? Takes this same imagery, looking to the heavens, was there a time when, uh, for this, he's looking at constellations and this, and again, I just hold this with an open hand, but it's pretty interesting to sit in. I've never listened to a rebuttal, nor have I listened to anybody confirm this as, uh, you know, with scholarship and those kinds of things, but the virgin, this woman being Virgo, being clothed in the sun and having the moon under her feet and these other 12 stars around her head, that when the constellations were aligned at this proper time, there's a, it was lined up that way at the time that Jesus was born. It's kind of cool to geek out on, but that's not the imagery that is being provided here. Remember, we spent a lot of time going to the Old Testament, pointing to where all the imagery, the interpretation for this imagery comes from. So this particular imagery, this is without a doubt coming from Genesis chapter 37, where Joseph is having a vision. And in this vision, he sees his father, who is Jacob, whose name is, was changed to Israel. The woman represents Israel. Clothed in the sun, moon at the feet, the 12 stars being the 12 uh, children of Israel. Again, all of this imagery is pointing to the woman as the nation of Israel. And the emphasis in Revelation upon a woman is going to be the religious system. Later, we're going to see a woman riding this beast. That's the religious system of Babylon. You can sit with the woman Jezebel and the religious system there. There is in Zechariah a, a woman that's described there again, the emphasis upon the religious system. So here this woman is, and again, there are a lot of different ideas. You could make yourself sick with all the different opinions and interpretations that come out. But again, my, my exhortation to you is in the imagery that is provided in the Bible, always look for 
the interpretation and the idea to be defined somewhere else in the Word of God, this clearly coming out of Genesis 37. Some, wanna, some want to identify the woman as Mary. Uh, some would want to identify the woman as the church. Those come up with issues as you sit in the rest of the imagery. The child already defined as Jesus. But again, you look at the nation of Israel. God promised Abraham from the very beginning when he chose Abraham that there was coming a promised descendant. That the blessing upon all of the nations was going to come through this descendant. You sit in the imagery of Isaac being the promised child. You sit in all the imagery that's given to David. The child, the emphasis of all those prophecies is always pointing us to the unique, one and only, only begotten Son of God, who is Jesus. But throughout the history of Israel, you watch the travail, you watch the birth pains, you watch all the different pressures and all the things that uh, Satan threw at them and all the things that they threw at themselves through their d disobedience and rebellion against God. The other, uh, the other sign here already clearly defined as Satan, the devil, the deceiver, the serpent of old, but this dragon again, the seven heads, the ten horns, and the seven diadems. We are going to get into all that imagery later on but the seven heads or seven kings the ten horns or ten different kings we'll get into all of that imagery and how that represents nations uh, the beast that rose out of the uh, the bottomless pit at the beginning of chapter 11 and 13 we're going to see two other beasts again there's all these connections that we're going to sit in later his tail that draws a third of the stars of heaven this is where we get the idea that it is not only Satan, but a third of the created order of angels, these creatures that God made, a third of them stand in rebellion against God. Uh, stars of heaven, again, being this imagery that, again, this is where we get that definition for one-third from. The dragon has always been standing before the nation of Israel in opposition. You sit in, you can sit in uh, Esther, and what Haman was doing. What was, what was Satan attempting to do through Haman ultimately to the Jews? Eradicate him. You can sit in when Jesus was born as a child. What was Satan doing in Herod's life? Kill the king. Constantly through the Old Testament, constantly through Israel's history, constantly through modern history, you can sit in Satan has a specific hatred for the one that God has chosen, this nation. And again, this nation was to image God to all nations. At the same time, we're going to see later on next week, Satan has a specific hatred for this nation's offspring, which are defined as believers in Jesus. Standing there waiting to devour. Again, all of this is like big picture imagery. Satan's kingdom in opposition against God's kingdom. Israel bore the male child who is Jesus, the one who will shepherd all the nations with the rod of iron. This child was caught up. This is an Acts when we see Jesus is caught up to heaven, and there he is today ruling and reigning, and there is coming a day when he is going to be sent back to rule and reign here. There's a time gap in here in verse 6. The woman flees again. You have to sit with Jesus' words in Matthew 24 in regards to this time. 
there is a time when Israel is going to flee out of Jerusalem into the wilderness. There are reasons why we believe it is in the area of Petra in modern-day Jordan. There's specific prophecies associated with it and ideas and reasons why we think that that is the place. But ultimately, this is a place prepared by God. God is going to divinely protect. Just like he seals 144,000 of the tribes, of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel earlier on in Revelation, a specific seal, a specific provision, a specific protection. That is what the nation of Israel is going to experience at this time. But Zechariah tells us that two-thirds of the nation of Israel is going to be killed at this time. A third is going to escape, but two-thirds are going to lose their life from the influence of the dragon and for those who want to shake off what they consider to be the bonds and chains of the Almighty God. And this is going to be what we believe to be the second half of the tribulation that last three and a half years that last 1260 days all of that timing coming from daniel 9. again imagery when did this war break out when is michael and his angels fighting the spiritual war between the dragon and his angels not a clue has it been going on all throughout history i don't think so You sit in Job, there is very clear permission that Satan has access to come before God, question God, challenge God. You see that he goes to and fro out into the earth to for his deceptions, for his plans, for his purposes. He comes and presents himself before God. He accuses God. He accuses us to God. It seems as though he still has this position before God today because we are given this description before he is cast out. He accuses the brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ. You are being accused before God for all of your lack of faithfulness, for how much of a loser you are, for how much of a rebel you are, for how much you lack the image of God. You are being accused before your Father and your Creator every single day. How's that make you feel? Should make you feel fantastic. Because the New Testament tells you that you have a defending lawyer at your side. Jesus is called our mediator, our intercessor. He is the one that stands before the Almighty God, which He is, but as Son and the Father, and He places a hand on the Father, and He places a hand on you. And he is the one that allows you access. Through what? Through his blood. Your victory over the one who hates you and accuses you. The war that you were engaged in every single day. In Ephesians 6, we are told that our war, it's not with one another. It's not even with yourself. It's against these princes and principalities and powers. These are all the divisions of these other creatures that God has created that are standing in rebellion against God. And they study you and they watch you and they seek to deceive you every day. Where's your hope against that that you cannot sense, that you cannot see, that you cannot hear? Where's your source of truth? Where's your source of protection? Where's your source of hope? Where's your source of comfort? says it's the, the 
That initial source is in Jesus' blood. And the emphasis upon blood is he died the death that you deserve. When Satan stands before God and accuses you and slanders you and says, God is wrong for loving you, for being merciful to you, for being gracious to you, for being patient to you. God is violating his own laws. All the Father has to do is point to the act, the action of the son's death on the cross as a substitute. His death for you and for all humanity is sufficient. We overcome. We have victory in this spiritual war through the blood of the lamb. And not only that, it says it's through the word of your testimony. Yeah, you sit in the word of God. This is the word of God. This is his testimony to us. But when you sit across God, so to say, as you're sitting with God face to face in prayer and you're crying out to him, what are the words that are pouring out of your mouth to him? What is his testimony towards you in your life? Like, how do you, how do you phrase it? What has been your life experience with your creator? As you sit and he's declared himself to be this way, he's declared these to be his acts. Here are all the promises that he has given. He is telling me to trust him with my life circumstance. He is telling me to trust him when I feel like he is in opposition to me. He's the roadblock. He's given me this. He is withholding that from me. God, you're the problem. Have you ever felt like that? I have. And I sit in those times of prayer, and I sit in those times of complaining. And there, as I look at the blood of the Lamb, remember, when I remember His words, when I look at my life experience up to this point, I have this testimony in regards to I have no other option but to trust him for who he claims himself to be because he has 100% of the time demonstrated himself to be trustworthy, to be faithful. There's a whole bunch of promises I'm waiting on. There's a whole bunch of questions I don't have answer to, but I overcome Satan's attack in my life by the word of my testimony. I know who Jesus is. I know that that tomb is empty. I know that he was snatched up to the right hand of God, and there he sits today as my mediator and my intercessor. When Satan comes to me every single day and he says, hey, Blake, I'll give this to you. How do I overcome him? Do I sit there and start having a conversation with Satan? He's smarter than I am. He knows my wicked heart. He knows exactly how to twist my thinking into believing, you know what? I do deserve that. That is what I need. God's wrong. I need it now. Or do I stand with my Savior and say, Satan, get behind me. You are a liar. You are a deceiver. You are a slanderer. The Almighty God has demonstrated himself to be true. Foundationally, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ.
because we have the testimony that Jesus was dead for three days and he came back alive and he revealed himself and his followers watched him ascend into heaven and every single one of those followers lost their lives believing that event to be true. I stand in the truth of that. I stand in the confidence of that. When I think about the kingdoms of the world, I don't get all bent out of shape by anything. By Washington, D.C., by Beijing, by Tehran. Israel is standing in a transition of leadership today. Benjamin Netanyahu, this is his last day as prime minister in Israel, and there is a new prime minister. I'm not bent out of shape by any of the machinations of human kingdoms. Because his kingdom has come into my life. I have great peace. I am at peace in this world today, not because I am a citizen of this world, because there's no hope here, but because I'm a citizen of heaven. I know the end. I know he's taken the reins, the cords of my life, and that he rules in all of his authority as king with his rod of iron, not to smash me, but to protect me and to shepherd me. As there is a war breaking out all around me, there's a war that goes on right now, and there is a future war when here, again, we have this description of Satan's fall. Jesus tells us that he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. When? Past, present, future. Satan's fall from heaven is a constant, continual fall. He has fallen to the earth here. He is cast out of heaven. He is removed at this point from access from God's throne because Satan's kingdom, his authority, is stripped away at this point in the future. God has taken his power and his right to rule at this point in the future. Satan is stripped of his authority to rule. The kingdoms are stripped of their authority of the rule. But at this point in human history, woe to those who dwell on the earth. Why? Because Satan's only got a little bit of time left. And he hates you. He hates Israel. He hates Christians. He hates God. And he is going to do everything that he can to destroy in those last three and a half years. But we're told the end. His fall continues. Because in Revelation 20, that being is going to be chained and his fall is going to go to the pit for a thousand years where he won't be allowed to deceive the nations any longer. We are told that there's going to be a thousand years of peace, of the godly rule and authority of our king. But at the end of it, Satan is going to be released. Why? I don't know. But think of the stupidity of this. When the deceiver is let go again, he is able to deceive the nations in a way that those who have been living with the perfect king for a thousand years, humanity is going to be deceived to the point again that they are going to go take up arms and come against Jesus in war. Foolish. But again, that's a lot of what God is working out in us. Do you willingly submit your life, your circumstances, your eternity to Jesus as king, yes or no. And that and that alone is the distinction between death and life.
between wrath and peace, between an object of punishment and smashing or an object of protection. Your choice. Take Jesus to yourself as your king. Take his body and remember that he gave his body broken for you on the cross for the stripping away, the removal, the remission of your sins forever and ever. Remember his blood. It's his covenant. He signed it and sealed it through our God becoming a man and dying your death. His blood washing all filth away and washing all authority away. All other authority other than his in our life is gone. You have victory in your king. Through his blood, through the word of your testimony. And this is huge. Don't love your own life. And the big things and the small things, and I'm talking to myself, Blake, don't love your life. Love the life that Jesus is and love the life that Jesus provides in that is your victory. So Jesus, we surrender to you this morning because your mercies are new every day. Your mercy is fresh. Your mercy endures forever. Your patience with me is awe-inspiring. Your grace overwhelms my soul. Your death causes me to grieve. Your resurrection causes me to rejoice. Your ascension causes me both sorrow and comfort. The promise that you're coming back, Lord, gives me great hope and peace. Began this morning, Lord, with that prayer that each soul, that they would see you, Lord. Through your Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would cause each person to know you the way that they need to know you today. For some, Lord, they're in rebellion against you. They're, they're kicking at you because they feel like they're in bondage. For some, Lord, they're, they're wondering why you haven't woken up out of the boat. Can't you see that they're drowning? For others, Lord, the, the body is breaking. And they need your physical comfort. For others, Lord, there's deceptions and ideas and distractions that are just flooding the mind and they can't find the silence to even hear you. I'm asking that your voice would break through. For some, Lord, their hearts are filled with praise and thanks that they don't, they don't even know how to begin expressing their gratitude. I'm asking that you would enable them to find their voice right now to give you thanks. We ask for your kingdom to come, Father. In our lives today, in humanity, because we know 
and we trust that you are good and that you are righteous and that you are just. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.